0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's time for Serralo Sports Talk with Joe Serralo. All right, it's time for Sirallo's Sports Talk with me Joe Sirallo. You're tuned into the Believe Hour here on Sports Map Radio. That's Believe, B L E A V, your number one go-to spot for the best sports content on the market. Make sure you check us out at believe.com. And I know I usually have a fun, upbeat opening every week here on Sirallo's Sports Talk. I preview the show, what we're going to get into during this little 2-minute block, but I need to spend the next 2 minutes talking about something way more important. Normally something I would save for my final word segment because a part of me feels dirty talking about sports, which are the ultimate escape when a mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas a couple of days ago left nearly 20 little children and three elementary school educators dead, massacred in cold blood. And we as a country have essentially become numb to it. We are less than seven months away from the 10 year anniversary of Sandy Hook and the people in charge of this country. Politicians on both sides of the aisle have not done enough. They have done nothing to ensure that 10 years later, Sandy Hook would not happen all over again. And it happens all over again on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Maybe not the same exact situation that we saw this week and that we saw 10 years ago in an elementary school, but in grocery stores, in churches, places of worship, for all religions and denominations. We experienced a stretch of three mass shootings in 10 days over the past two weeks. A supermarket, a church in Southern California, and now in elementary school. Enough is enough, all the credit in the world to people like Steve Kerr, who were using their platform, using their voices to spread the right message. This country, I don't care if you agree with me or not, or if you like what I'm about to say, this country has a serious gun problem. And all we are asking for is stricter background searches and a ban on assault weapons. I come from a family of hunters. We're not here to take your hunting rifles. We're not here to take your shotguns. No one should have AR-15s, all right? No one needs military weapons. And we need better background checks. This country right now is absolutely disgraceful when little kids are dying in school, a place that they should feel safe. And we're absolutely numb to it. We'll be back with some sports. You're listening to Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo, as part of the Believe Hour on Sports Map Radio. All right, we're back here on Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo, taking you through the hour on this Thursday evening right here on Sports Map Radio. And these NBA playoffs. I was really enjoying the first round of the NBA playoffs. What we're watching right now is nothing short of snooze fest basketball. I mean, the NBA has been dubbed the National Blowout Association over the past couple of rounds. We've gone through a stretch where we have since May 11th, in the last 15 days, and I believe I gave the same exact stat out a week ago, except it was in the last eight days. Well, nothing's changed in the last 15 days. We have had one game decided by five or fewer points. I mean, you know, we've had single digit games like the game three in Boston where Miami won by six. Meanwhile, the Heat were up 25 early in that one and Boston didn't make it a contest until Jimmy Butler went out, missed the whole second half. Then Boston was able to come back and make it a competitive basketball game. We have not seen good basketball. I mean, we are in the conference finals and the Golden State Warriors-Dallas Mavericks series is over, will probably be officially over, in a couple of hours of course dallas had that game four win where you know if you didn't see that one coming i mean there were so many factors in that first off luka was not going to get swept at home the mavericks have played phenomenal basketball at home all postseason they were not getting swept at home with one of the best players on the planet on their team and then you factor in the shooting that day in texas in their state and just every factor seemed to be pointing towards Dallas winning Game 4. They're going to lose Game 5. This series is effectively over as of tonight. But, but let's talk about last night. Because the Miami Heat-Boston Celtics series is over as well. First off, you know the drill. Game 5. If you win Game 5 in the NBA in a series that is tied at two wins apiece, you have an 83% chance at winning the series. Now, ironically, the Boston Celtics, who won game five last night to go up 3-2 on the Miami Heat, they lost a pivotal game five against Milwaukee at home and went down 3-2, went to Milwaukee game six, came back home to the TD Garden and won it in game seven. They defied the odds. Miami's not doing the same. Why? Because the Miami Heat are not healthy and they have no offense. This is not the Miami Heat that earned the one seed in an Eastern Conference with Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks, Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers, Tatum and the Boston Celtics, Durant and the Brooklyn Nets. This is not the same Miami Heat team that left it all out there for 82 games this season, which not a lot of teams do in the NBA throughout the course of a regular season. The Miami Heat had a phenomenal season, and this series especially— Games four and five have been an absolute embarrassment. This has not been good basketball. This has been the polar opposite. Uh, I mean, that game five last night was one of the worst basketball games I have ever seen. Period. Point blank. Both teams. Both teams. The Boston Celtics did not play a phenomenal game. The Boston Celtics played a phenomenal third quarter. You know, the Miami Heat, could not have shot the ball any worse. They have shot under 35% from the floor in consecutive games for the first time in franchise history. And they picked the conference finals to do it. I mean, this is not the Celtics playing lockdown incredible defense. I know they've got the defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart. He did not have an exceptional game five. This is the Miami Heat not being able to put the ball in that red circular iron thingy. That's as simple as it can be. I mean, Jimmy Butler... I talk about the Miami Heat not being healthy, right? Tyler Heroes missed the past couple of games. That is a colossal loss for this team. I know he comes off the bench, but this is the sixth man who is the second leading scorer on this team. Jimmy Butler, I mentioned a couple minutes ago, leaving game three early. He has not been the same since game three. Jimmy Butler is injured. Jimmy Butler, if this was the regular season, mark my words, would not be playing basketball right now. Because if you look at games one and two of this series, where he averaged... 35 points per game. Game one, I came on the air the next day last week. Praised Jimmy Butler for the entirety of a 10-minute segment. All hail Jimmy. 41 points in that game. What he did, all aspects of the game. Both sides. Best two-way guy we've seen since Michael in the postseason. Jimmy since then has been a shell of himself. Had a good game too. Averaged 35 over the course of the first two games. Shot 62% from the floor. Over 60 in each of the first two games. And got to the free throw line. 26 times. How many times has he been to the free throw line? Games three, four, and five. Three games since then. Six combined. What does that tell you? Jimmy Butler is not healthy. He's not playing with the ferocity Jimmy Butler usually plays with. He's not attacking the rim the way Jimmy Butler usually attacks opposing defenses. He's gotten to the free throw line six times in the last three games. He's shooting 25% from the floor over those three games, averaging just nine points. Per contest, Jimmy Butler is not healthy. And without Jimmy Butler, this is a Miami Heat team that I didn't think was going to get past the 76ers because of their lack of star power. Well, they just lost their only star. I don't care if he's out there or not. Jimmy Butler is gone for the series. He's not himself. And the Miami Heat have no shot without him. Kyle Lowry, future Hall of Famer, point guard. Uh, I mean, you think he's ready to be playing basketball? Look at what he's done since returning. He's played three games this series. He's five of 23 from the floor, him and Max Struz, the Heat backcourt last night was 0 for 15 from the floor. 0 for 15, the Heat starting backcourt did not provide a field goal. Struz had a couple of free throws, but Lowry didn't have a point. You know what the over-under was last night, game five on Kyle Lowry's points and assists total? 15 and a half, you know what he finished with? He shot 0 for six from the floor, zero points, zero assists. His points assist total was 15 and a half, He finished with a combined goose egg. Played 25 minutes, five fouls. What does that tell you? He's getting beat constantly on the floor. Kyle Lowry should not be out there. Jimmy Butler should not be out there. Tyler Hero is not out there. The Miami Heat are a shell of themselves right now. And it's a shame because this is a team that, as I highlighted, played a more full, complete basketball season than we see from almost any other team in the league. Other teams have load management. Other teams take defensive possessions off. The Heat really don't do much of that. The Heat can't afford to do much of that. And so they grinded a full NBA season to get the one seed. And now three of their best four players, the only guy who's not banged up is Bam Adebayo. Three of their best four players are either not playing or they are playing, but they're shells of themselves. Boston did not play a good game five. I mentioned that the Celtics woke up in the third quarter. That first half was absolutely embarrassing. They had 37 points in the first half. By the way, it was the lowest combined first half of a conference finals game since 2014 when the Pacers and Heat had some defensive battles on those LeBron, D-Wade, Chris Bosh teams. The Celtics had 37 points in the first half on 38% shooting. Neither team shot better than 38% from the floor in the first half. It was not a defensive showcase, folks. It was an offensive Embarrassment. Jason Tatum at halftime was one of nine from the floor. Now, he made it right. He finished seven of 20, but he was one of nine from the floor at halftime. You know what this series is telling me right now? This series is telling me that the Milwaukee Bucks got robbed, that if Chris Middleton doesn't go down, the Milwaukee Bucks are cruising to the NBA Finals. And I know that you could say, well, if Jimmy Butler isn't hurt, maybe this is a different, more competitive series. And that's very true. But the Milwaukee Bucks were far and above the best team in the Eastern Conference this season. Giannis Antetokounmpo didn't have the supporting cast without Middleton on the court. He left it all out there, turned in one of the best single series performances of all time in a seven-game loss in the conference semifinals. That team, with Chris Middleton on the court, probably doesn't even get to a game seven with the Boston Celtics, probably wins it in six in Milwaukee, and cruises past these Heat because these Heat can't score. And these Celtics aren't doing a much better job. I mean, Marcus Smart did not have a good game, and he's another guy who's banged up. These guys are dropping left and right like flies. And it is all setting up for the Golden State Warriors to cruise to the fourth title in the Steve Kerr, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green era. That's what all signs are pointing towards. Because I know the Boston Celtics are a great story. And Jason Tatum just got his first team All-NBA selection. The Golden State Warriors are head and shoulders above each of the other three teams still standing right now. They're going to end Dallas tonight. They're going to win the NBA championship this year. When we come back, we'll look at those All-NBA teams. We'll see who got robbed. If the decisions were right or wrong, all that and more with me, Joe Serrallo, on this episode of Serrallo Sports Talk. Stay locked in. You're tuned into Sports Map Radio. Back here on Seralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Seralo. You're locked into the Believe Hour on Sports Map Radio on this Thursday evening, May 26th. And before we go any further, it is my obligation every week to remind you all that we only get an hour together right here on these airwaves. So for takes of mine that you don't see or you don't get to hear every week on this show in this finite amount of time that we spend together, for daily picks, daily best bets that, by the way, I am on an unreal streak, just fresh off 13 bets in a row. I've hit 16 of my last 18. I know you want to get on that. I know you want to capitalize on that. So how do you do that? You follow me. Follow me on Instagram at Joe Cirillo. On Twitter at the Joe Cirillo. And of course, for the first time, I've got to shamelessly plug that you need right now to stop everything that you're doing and go follow my TikTok. Just like Twitter, it's at the Joe And I have just hit my first million views on the last couple of videos. I mean, who would have ever known that all of the analysis and time that I spend studying and watching and talking about sports. Who would have have ever known that my niche in sports TikTok is talking about professional athletes who have either had crazy affairs or been the victims of their spouses having insane affairs. I mean, my last two videos, Zach Davies, Ben Zobrist, Davies, of course, the perp, Zobrist, the victim. They're absolutely insane stories. If you wanna hear them, Check them out. My next video is going to be the Cal Ripken story of the Camden Yards blackout. That's going to be coming out tomorrow morning, so check out my TikTok page. But that's enough of that. Let's talk about the All-NBA teams. The three All-NBA teams were just released yesterday, and we've got not a lot of controversy. I I have to say, I'm looking at these teams right now, and there are a couple differences that I have. The big glaring one, is Joel Embiid. I mean, right? Like, let's be honest. Let's call that what it is. Guy was the leading scorer in the NBA this season, was second in MVP voting, and he finishes on the All-NBA second team. Now, look, the obvious reason for that is on the All-NBA teams, you've got two guards, two forwards, and a center. So, of course, even though Embiid led the NBA in scoring and was the runner-up, In the MVP conversation, well, the MVP was another center, Nikola Jokic. So it makes sense in that respect that Joel Embiid would be on the all-NBA second team because Jokic was on the first team. He was the MVP. But my problem with this, my issue with this system is that the NBA is inconsistent when it comes to judging players as backcourt and frontcourt players, or judging players as guards, forwards, and centers. As the NBA progresses, as the game evolves and changes year after year, and becomes a more three-point shooting, guard-oriented game, the center position becomes less and less valuable. So you've got fewer centers who are worthy of all-star appearances, who are worthy of all NBA appearances, And you've got maybe more small forwards and more stretch lineups and smaller lineups out there. Because everyone wants to be Steph Curry nowadays, right? So if the game is evolving in such a way and the NBA is pushing the game to evolve in such a way, why not recognize these guys with accolades that represent accurately the direction the game is moving in? If all-star voting is done by backcourt, frontcourt, with two backcourt players and three frontcourt players on your ballot, if we've had all-star games where LeBron James can start at center or Giannis Antetokounmpo can be the starting center because they're the most fit of the three frontcourt players to qualify, why can the same not be done for all NBA teams? Now, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, All of these guys who made the first all-NBA team are deserving But not to single out Jason Tatum, he had a All-NBA first team caliber season, but that front court would be a lot more appropriate if it was Giannis, Embiid, and Jokic, considering those were the three finalists for the MVP award. I mean, no disrespect to Jason Tatum, but the three finalists for the damn MVP award should all be on the All-NBA first team. There's five spots, there's three finalists. You do the math, it makes sense. And again, if the NBA is gonna push the game to evolve in a different way, if the NBA is gonna encourage, if kids are gonna grow up, everyone wants to be shooting threes, no matter if you're six foot or seven foot, then have the all NBA teams reflect where the game is at in 2022. I personally prefer old school basketball. I played the center position when I was younger. I love centers who can't shoot a three, who bang bodies, who block shots, who play defense. That's that's the style of basketball I miss and I enjoy. But I'll acknowledge, because I have to acknowledge this, I am in the minority there. And if the All-Star team can be comprised of backcourt and frontcourt players, why can the All-NBA team not be done the same way? Joel Embiid, in no way, no shape, no form on this planet, should have been on the All-NBA second team this year when he led the league in scoring and was the runner-up for the Most Valuable Player Award. But outside of that, the team's great, right? (laughs) I mean, if you look at the rest of the team, Luka Doncic, I mentioned the front court was Tatum, Giannis, Jokic, Luka Doncic, and Devin Booker round things out on the backcourt. The Devin Booker selection is a little surprising to me. I mean, Booker had a really great season and obviously the Suns were the one seed and had the best record in the NBA by far. No one was even close. But... I mean, if you look at Devin Booker's numbers compared to the next leading scoring shooting guard in the league, Donovan Mitchell, well, I mean, you can argue that Mitchell, who didn't make any of the three All-NBA teams, you can argue Mitchell statistically had an identical season to Booker. I mean, Booker averaged one more point per game than Mitchell and actually had a lower PER, which is, you know, now one of the most relied upon metrics. It's a flawed one, don't get me wrong. It's a flawed metric, but it is one of the most relied upon metrics in basketball to to determine a player's value nowadays. And Booker actually had a lower one, slightly, but lower nonetheless, than Donovan Mitchell, who didn't make any of the three All-NBA teams. I mean, their seasons, down to the games played where they were both in the mid-60s, I believe Booker played one more game than Mitchell this year, their seasons were eerily similar, yet Booker was All-NBA first team, Mitchell didn't crack one of the three teams. So that's a little odd to me. On the first team front, Embiid, obviously deserving. Tatum and Booker, you can argue for other people. I mean, the second team, Steph Curry, John Morant, Kevin Durant, who Durant I was going to have a problem with. I didn't think he qualified for scoring this year, but I just checked it. He qualified. You need 55 games. He played 55 games. Averaged almost 30 points per game, so no problem there. Curry, Morant, KD, DeMar, Embiid, of course. DeMar DeRozan. Here's a guy, DeMar DeRozan, who you can argue may have been worthy of a first team selection. If you want to compare DeMar DeRozan, who made this team as a forward, as a small forward, I know in the past he's been listed as a shooting guard, as a small forward, made the team as a forward, you can argue he had a better season than Jason Tatum. Again, the numbers like Booker and Mitchell are eerily similar, but he averaged one more point per game. And... He was a much more efficient shooter. Now, Tatum had a good year, 45% from the floor. But DeMar DeRozan turned in one of the best shooting seasons of his career. That's why back in November, December, people were saying early in the year, whoa, is DeMar DeRozan an MVP dark horse? He shot over 50% from the floor this year. Played what I thought was better defense than we've seen out of him this regular season than most years in his career because the Chicago Bulls Past Lonzo Ball were a team that didn't know how to play defense. And I thought DeMar really stepped up and altered his game to best serve his team. I mean, look, I have no problem with DeMar DeRozan being on the All-NBA second team and Jason Tatum being on the first team. But the argument is there that DeMar DeRozan may have had a first-team caliber season. Let's round things out with the third team. Trey Young, phenomenal. Chris Paul, 11 assists per game, led the league. LeBron James, Carl Anthony Towns at the center position. And how about this? Pascal Siakam at the forward position alongside LeBron. Siakam quietly, thanks to a tremendous second half, had a great year. Well-deserved. The Raptors were well out of the playoff picture early in the season. Siakam, Van Fleet, they led their team back in there. Like I said, it's hard to find complaints here. Here's one. Going back to the second team. And people might want to crucify me for this one. But Steph Curry, you can argue that Steph Curry not only may have not been deserving of that second team selection, but maybe wasn't even deserving of an all NBA selection at all. First off, there is no comparison. Trey Young had a better season than Steph Curry. So right there, that should be a flip flop, right? That second team should be Trey Young, John Morant in the backcourt, third team Curry, Chris Paul, which is probably the best all NBA third team backcourt of all time. But Trey Young... 28-9, better season than Steph Curry. But here's where it gets interesting because I mentioned Donovan Mitchell before and Mitchell had almost identical numbers to Devin Booker who was on the first team. You can argue they both had better numbers than Steph Curry this season. You can argue Donovan Mitchell might've deserved a spot on the All-NBA third team, let alone second team over Steph Curry. But here's the guy I wanna leave you thinking about as we wrap this segment up. DeJounte Murray. I know that the San Antonio Spurs did nothing this season. I know they got bounced in that play-in tournament. DeJounte Murray quietly had one of the best seasons in the NBA. He averaged 21 points per game. I know Curry averaged 25. Hold on. Murray averaged eight boards as a point guard and nine assists per game. Eight boards, nine assists. The man almost averaged a triple-double, and nobody talks about him because the San Antonio Spurs are the once beloved, now forgotten team in the NBA that hasn't won in the better part of a half decade. DeJounte Murray, one of the brightest young stars in the game. There is a lot of John Morant to DeJounte Murray's game, and you all know how I feel about John Morant, how I absolutely love him, yet no one talks about DeJounte Murray. He also, by the way, had a better PER, speaking of that metric, than Steph Curry. His was 22, Curry's was 21. DeJounte Murray deserved a spot on one of these all-NBA teams. When we come back, I'm gonna switch it up. We're talking a little baseball here. That's right, it's long overdue. Stick with me, Joe Serrallo. You're locked into Seralo Sports Talk on Sports Map Radio. Back here on Seralo Sports Talk, it's me, Joe Serrallo, and you're tuned into the Believe Hour here on Sports Map Radio on this Thursday evening as we lead you into game five of the Mavericks Warriors series. Of course. As I already mentioned, it will be the final game of the series. And as I already mentioned, if you haven't already, make sure you go catch me on socials, at Joe Seralo on Instagram, at the Joe TheJoeSorallo on Twitter, and apparently my new thing, TikTok as well. Guys, I promised that we were going to dive into baseball because we are sitting here nearly a third of the way through the MLB season. And it's time to start talking about how we're going to be spending our summer Right? The NBA playoffs, we're almost at the finals. It's almost over. Same goes for hockey in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Football, I mean, you've got workouts, you've got OTAs. Let's face it, football, really, there isn't much to talk about until August. It is baseball season, folks. And if you are just getting into the swing of things now, do not worry. I have been watching every team, every game since opening day. And as someone who loves this sport more than anything... I would love to be the one to catch you up to speed. Baseball right now is being dominated by the coasts, by New York and LA, both teams, both leagues. It is so much fun to watch. Now, I know the Angels have recently taken a slight step back from their torrid start this season, and the Houston Astros, shout out Houston, hometown of our, of our station here at Sports Map Radio, the Astros are back in first place in the AL West. But this May, for the first time in baseball history after May 1st, you had at one point in the season the Mets, Yankees, Dodgers, and Angels all in first place at the same time. And whether you like it or not, whether you're from New York and LA or you're from Kansas City and Tampa Bay, it is great for baseball. When you have the biggest market teams playing top-of-the-tier baseball, it is the best thing for the sport. Now, I'm not saying every team to be successful needs to be from a big market. I personally, as a Mets fan, love watching the Milwaukee Brewers play. I love Andrew McCutcheon when his game is on. I love Lorenzo Cain when his game is on. They have some of the most exciting pitching in baseball from the usual suspects like Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Josh Hader at the back end of the pen to the guys stepping up like Hauser and Eric Lauer. In the back end of the rotation, Freddie Peralta turning in some quality starts. That's right, I just named the entire Brewers starting rotation for you because I love when small market teams are playing good ball too. But the fact of the matter is, baseball is better off when New York and LA, and then you throw in, you know, Houston, St. Louis, and some other teams, but when New York and LA are at the top of their game, the sport of baseball is better off. You look at the star power. I mean, you've got the Yankees who are currently playing right now. They're currently in action with their unexpected ace. It's not Garrett Cole. It's Nestor Cortez, the 27-year-old. Took some time to catch on. He's on the bump right now. Big weekend, four-game set with the Tampa Bay Rays. If you look at what Cortez, the lefty, has done this year, I mean, he is one of eight qualified starting pitchers in baseball with a sub-2 ERA, one of just six with a sub 09 whip. Nestor Cortez is the best pitcher currently active in New York. Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer for the Mets. Two multiple-time Cy Young Award winners, both on the shelf, both injured. Garrett Cole, uh, I mean, you know, he's turned in some really dominant starts, but look at his last outing. Eight innings, five earned against Baltimore, one of the most bizarre lines you'll ever see. Actually, it was the first time in MLB history a starting pitcher ever turned in a line of eight innings, five earned, no walks, seven hits, 11 strikeouts. One of the wildest, most unusual lines you will ever see from a starting pitcher. Only person in the 150-year history of baseball to ever do that. But pass the pitching. We all know the Yankees' bats. And say what you want about the ballpark. I think it's a little league field. I agree with Chris Woodward 100%. Maybe the only thing Chris and I agree on. Say what you want about that ballpark. Aaron Judge is having a phenomenal season. In fact, all of 17 home runs that Aaron Judge have hit, which no one else in baseball is even close to, Mike Trout and a bunch of other guys are tied at 12, five home runs behind him. Aaron Judge, of all 17 home runs he's hit, they have all been home runs in at least half of MLB ballparks. He doesn't have any of those Yankee Stadium cheapos. Giancarlo Stanton's got a few. Glaber Torres definitely has a few. Aaron Judge does not have any Yankee Stadium cheap 314-foot pokes over the right field fence. He is having an MVP caliber season, and he's doing it in his contract year. You know, just a couple months ago, where have all the critics gone? People were crushing Aaron Judge for being stubborn and not signing a team-friendly long-term extension to stay with the Yankees. He bet on himself. It's a walk year, and he is on pace for 59 home runs. Neck and neck with the likes of Mike Trout and Jose Ramirez for the AL MVP. I know it's too early to be talking about that. But right now, you ask anyone, Aaron Judge's name is right there in the discussion. And he is going to be rewarded, whether it's the Yankees or not. And I have a feeling it will be. He is going to be rewarded with a handsome nine-figure deal after the season. But I mentioned Mike Trout, right? How about what the Angels have done? And I know that they're in second place. I know that they've faded a little but also at the same time while they've faded a little bit it's more so been the Houston Astros just bullying their opponents over the better part of May I mean the Houston Astros best team in baseball in the month of May so give them some credit where it's due but it is Shohei Otani night for the Angels as they host the Toronto Blue Jays who have probably underperformed more than any other team in baseball if you remember my first show I did on sports map Radio right here back in March about two months ago I gave my preseason World Series call, and it was the Mets and the Blue Jays. Blue Jays got off to a great start. They've come back down to earth in a tremendous way. Shohei Otani on the bump tonight for the Angels. And the reigning ALMBP. right last year, which Shohei Otani did. He had his best year in the MLB as a pitcher. Also crushed over 40 home runs. I mean, the guy steals bases, hits moonshots. There's not a thing. He's he's a six-tool player. It's Shohei Ohtani is a unicorn. People compare him to Babe Ruth because they're the only people with, you know, 100 strikeouts, 100 home runs, or whatever the stat is, you name it. To me, it's more impressive because Ohtani is doing it in an age with the best athletes to ever walk the earth. Uh, I mean... Not taken away from Babe Ruth, of course, you know, 714 home runs in that era is nothing to scoff at, but look at what Otani is doing on a nightly basis on both sides of the ball when the athletes, I'm sorry, Babe Ruth was an exception. Back then, the rest of the MLB was not that good. You had mailmen playing pro baseball, you know, you had Ruth, you had Gehrig, and then you had a bunch of mailmen and bartenders. Uh, I mean, what Otani is doing in an era of world-class athletes nowadays is sensational He's the reigning MVP, and oh, by the way, he's the third best hitter right now on the LA Angels. Mike Trout, I just mentioned, is right up there with Aaron Judge and Jose Ramirez in the MVP discussion. I mean, if the season ended today, I truly believe Mike Trout would have his fourth MVP award. Look at his season, 12 home runs at second in baseball, second in the American League. His 425 on base percentage is third in the MLB and his 1,100 OPS, on base plus slugging, first in baseball, and it's not even close. 1,100 OPS, absolutely insane. And he may, while he would probably be the MVP if the season ended today, he may not be the best hitter so far this year on the Angels. So if Otani's third and Trout's second, who's the best hitter on the Angels? Oh, it's gotta be Anthony Rendon, right? He's got an insane contract. It would only make sense. He's not even close. Because if you're a casual baseball fan, now the diehards are probably right now listening, saying, Soralo, get to the point. If you're a casual baseball fan, you don't even know the name of the best hitter on the Angels, maybe the best hitter in baseball this season. Taylor Ward, the Angels right fielder. The reason he doesn't show up on any stat sheets is because he is five plate appearances away from qualifying for the MLB lead and average, OBP, OPS, you name it. So by the end of the weekend, Taylor Ward will be atop top of the list in baseball for almost every statistical offensive category. Because he is currently, again, about five plate appearances shy of qualifying. He's currently batting 370, which would be second in baseball. Only behind J.D. Martinez at 372 if he qualified. He currently has a 481 OBP, which would far and away lead the league, a 713 slugging percentage, which would also lead the league, and a 1200 OPS. I just said how Mike Trout had an 1,100 OPS on base plus slugging and was leading baseball. His teammate, Taylor Ward, who you probably have never heard of, by the end of the weekend, will be leading the MLB in OPS and will be leading the runner-up. And his teammate by about a hundred points. It's insane, it's unheard of. The star power on the Angels, and I know I haven't gotten to my Mets, I haven't gotten to the most popular team in LA, the Dodgers, the more recent world champs. The LA Angels have the reigning MVP and two guys who will be in the top five discussion for the MVP this season, and the reigning MVP ain't one of them. It is absolutely incredible the star power that the Angels have, and they're finally turning it into wins. They addressed pitching. They added Syndergaard, who has had his ups and downs so far in the young season. They fortified the bullpen a bit. Rice Iglesias is back. Aaron Loop they stole from the Mets, who had an all-MLB, all-world season as a situational reliever a year ago. The Angels finally have some pitching. Reed Detmers is younger than me, and he just threw a no-hitter in his 10th career MLB start. They've got pitching. The offensive fireworks are off the charts baseball's better off for it. Now you look at the National League. I mentioned a team like the Brewers is surging onto the scene. The Dodgers and Mets right atop the leaderboards. I mean, right now, when you look at what the Mets are doing, and yes, with about two minutes left in this segment, I've got to talk about my Mets. It's been all American League. Let's talk about my New York Mets. They've dipped a little bit. 11-9 in their last 20. They haven't had Jacob deGrom all year, two-time Cy Young Award winner, and they haven't had Max Scherzer for two weeks, three-time Cy Young Award winner. And oh, by the way, Tyler McGill also is on the shelf. He'll be returning soon. He was having the best first six weeks of the season of maybe any pitcher in baseball. I mean, the New York Mets, what they're doing overcoming injuries has been nothing shy of one of the most successful first two months in franchise history. I can't imagine this team when they get their two aces, not their ace, their two aces back. And the same can be said for the Dodgers. I mean, you know what the Dodgers have dealt with? Shelling out that huge contract to Trevor Bauer, expecting him after a Cy Young-shortened COVID season in 2020 to be a huge part of this team moving forward. They've had to deal with his loss because of his idiotic, disgusting criminal actions off the field. So the Dodgers, moving forward without Bauer, have all of a sudden seen a rejuvenated Clayton Kershaw on pace for a career year. Currently injured, just like so many aces in the game. But prior to that, on pace for a career year. Walker Buehler, Tony Gonsolin stepping up. Uh, I mean, the Mets and Dodgers, everyone wants to talk about the offensive fireworks because you've got Pete Alonso averaging practically an RBI per game. Lindor up the middle for the Mets. Dodgers signed Freddie Freeman, World Series champ last year with Atlanta. They've got Mookie Betts, future Hall of Famer in the outfield. Forget about all the offensive fireworks both of those teams have the reason I'm talking about them, the reason it's going to be those two teams in the NLCS is because they've got pitching for days. And at the end of the day, if you want to win in the playoffs in baseball, you need to have pitching for days. When we come back, my final word on this episode of Serrallo Sports Talk, I might switch things up. I might give you guys a best bet. Haven't done that in about three weeks. So stick with me, Joe Serrallo. You're locked into the Believe Hour as we get ready to wrap up this Thursday evening on Sports Map Radio. All right, it's time for my final word on this Thursday, May 26th edition of Sorallo Sports Talk with me, of course, Joe Sorallo here. And as I alluded to at the end of last segment, you know, usually my final word, I I talk about something I'm passionate about or something that's a little on the heavy side like I did last week with the Buffalo shooting, but that needed to be addressed right out of the gate this week, what happened this week in Uvalde, So let's end on a lighter note. Let me give you my best bet, a lock of the night to leave this show with. It's a West Coast baseball game, so it hasn't started yet. You still have almost an hour and a half to get this bet in. So join me in taking the Angels minus 150 against the Toronto Blue Jays tonight. Here is the deal. Shohei Otani in his last five starts, he's 3-0 with a 1.5 ERA a .87 whip and he's averaging 8 strikeouts per start at home. Otani has allowed an opponent batting average of just a buck 90 and versus righties it's even better. It is an insane 113 opponent batting average against right-handed hitters this season. Righties are just 8 for 71 off Otani. They have no long balls. That's right, no home runs and just a single RBI against him on the season. They also, in those 71 at-bats, have 31 strikeouts. That is a 44% K rate for righties against Otani. If you find a favorable strikeout prop, maybe over 6.5, over 7.5 even, I would jump on that as well. But Angels, money line minus 150 is the best bet. It gets better. The Blue Jays, I talk about Otani's success against righties. The Blue Jays have one of the most righty-heavy lineups in baseball, averaging eight right-handed hitters per game. Now look at who's pitching for Toronto, Hunjin Ryu. Four starts this season, an ERA of six. He gets less than three strikeouts per start. He's made it out of the fifth inning just once, and he's allowed five or more earned runs twice. Now, he's a lefty, Mike Trout and Taylor Ward, the man who maybe you haven't heard of until last segment, they're a combined 26 for 59 against left-handed pitching this season. That is a 441 average and their OPS, which I mentioned, Ward leads the league with a 1200, Trout second with an 1100, their OPS against lefties is a combined 1300. And to top it all off, the Blue Jays 23 and 20 on the season, just nine and 12 in the month of May. Love the Angels here, minus 150, still not bad value. And just like that, this episode of Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo, is up, it's over, it's out of here. That does it for this Believe Hour on Sports Map Radio. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe.